Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Um, I have to tell you, I, when I thought about what to speak on tonight, I, Josiah jumped out of the pages of the Bible as I was reading this last week, and I was so I'm excited about it, and I, I'm just going to try to follow the leading of the Lord on this, because I think there's some other things that he'd say to us besides what I have written down on paper. I have been so moved lately in the last, and I've told you this before when I've preached, um, about the time we're living in. And it seems like every time I see the news or I read a paper, it screams off the pages that the end is near. The second coming of Christ is at hand. And I don't know whether you're feeling that. Are you feeling that? I think the Holy Ghost should be quickening us. If you have the Spirit of God in you and you know your word, it should be screaming out to you that we're, we're right at the tail end of all these things happening. The only I keep waiting for uh, the, the man to appear that's going to broker a, a deal between the Arabs and the Hebrews or the Israelites or the Jews in Palestine because uh, that, that's the next step on, on the calendar. And that's what they're crying out for. We need somebody that can bring peace, and Egypt isn't going to do it. And I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about what's happening uh, in fulfillment to the scriptures and prophecy. Egypt isn't going to broker this deal. It's only going to last a little while. The only one that's going to broker a deal, and it's only going to last for three and a half years, is the Antichrist. And you know what? And uh, I teach, and I know Brother Kylie preaches, that the Antichrist will not come or be revealed until the church is gone. And so that means the trumpet could sound sooner than you think. Now, that scares me as well as excites me. It scares me in the aspect that so many people in church are so much more careless today than they were 10 years ago with their salvation. And I look in the mirror at myself and say, how serious am I about this? And I've been, I love the series I'm teaching. I've been teaching it probably for six months now on the book of Revelation about about all the prophecies, Daniel's 70th week and all these other things. How many sermons have you heard on that? How many, you know, this heaven is real stuff? How many people have come back to you and said, I died and I saw hell? You ever hear of anybody saying, write a book? I died and I went to hell. And this is what I saw. Well, here's my take on that. The devil's sly, and he has a purpose. He's trying to lull people into a false sense of security in thinking that when they die, 
everything will be fine. It's like frog soup. You just keep turning up the heat, make them comfortable, and pretty soon they're cooked. And so as I, I think about all these things, I think, Lord, help me to wake up myself and to start preaching about things that really affect the way that we're living now in our future. Because I want to tell you tonight, and I don't mean to scare you, but if you miss the rapture and you've heard the truth, you have no hope. You can't say that, Brother Kylie, that's too hard. The Bible tells me because they receive not a love of the truth to obey it, God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie. In other words, if you can't receive the truth and live the truth when the Holy Spirit in the latter reign is prevalent, God says, what are you going to do when it's gone? So taking that into consideration... Josiah is a good character to look at. Josiah had a great-grandfather, and I love to play trivia lately. I was going to get, somebody suggested that I go get, what is the Monopoly game, and get a $100 bill, because I'm always saying, for $100, who can answer this question? And somebody would answer it, and then I could give them the $100 and not be made to look foolish, like I didn't pay off on the bet. But who for no money at all can tell me who the great-grandfather of Josiah was, who was the most wicked of all the kings of Judah? The Bible says he was the most wicked of all of them. You're right. And if I had $100 I'd keep it in my pocket. <laughs> oh, it's terrible when people know you so well. So let me, I'm going to read some scripture tonight. We'll probably read a little bit, but I want you just to relax. Um, but before I talk about Manasseh, I want to talk about how Josiah, his birth was predicted. And what's unusual about Josiah's birth is his name was predicted even before he was born. It wasn't a man is going to be born. It says a man is going to be born, and his name is going to be Josiah. That's, that's pretty cool. Because not only the prophecy predict him, but it names him. And when we start to find out how Josiah got all fired up, is when he back, went back and he saw the prophecies, and he saw his name. That fired him up. But let's go back. I'm reading from 1 Kings 13, uh, 1 through 3. And this, this portion of Scripture is dealing with um, the prophet that came down to Israel or up to Israel and was to prophesy against uh, Jeroboam who was another wicked king, but he was a wicked king of the northern kingdom. It says, By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. 
as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, by the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out, and we do know that that's exactly what happened after that prophecy. Now, let's step back a step now, knowing that, and let's look at the great-grandfather of uh, Manasseh. Second Kings, the 21st chapter. And pardon me if I, I read a lot of scripture tonight because um, I want you to get the full picture of what I'm talking about. Second Kings 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah. He's the longest reigning king of all the kings of Judah, 55 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Now all of you basically are aware that Hezekiah, he was a great king. And I, I, I find it so unusual when I, I'm reading my Bible that the son of a good person can turn so bad. And the son of a bad person can be so good. He raised up altars for Baal and made a woman in, wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. This king, who was the son of a good king, who worshipped in the temple, built altars to heathen gods in the very temple. And he made his son pass through the fire uh, and practice soothsaying, use witchcraft, and consulted spiritualists and mediums. In other words, when he caused his son to pass through the fire, it means that he was burnt in the furnace of Moloch. That what they would do is they would take a child they would put it into the mouth of Moloch and someone would open the door of an extremely hot furnace. The fire would consume the sacrifice. Manasseh took his own son and sacrificed him to a heathen god, which was not a god. 
He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander. Let me make sure I'm in the same here page here. Wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I've commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I'm bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whosoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they've done evil in my sight and it provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another beside his sin by which he had made Judah to sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Ammon reigned in his place. Now I want to jump back to 2 Chronicles, the 33rd chapter. And I find something really uh, interesting here. Because as wicked as this man was, we find that he was converted. And he repented of his sin. And I'm going to read... Um, from 2 Chronicles 33. I'm going to go down to verse 10, though, because the first 10 verses are repetitious, or nine verses are repetitious of what we read. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of the Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him 
and he received his entreaty. He heard his supplications and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This is amazing. As wicked as this man was, the worst of all the kings uh, of, of Judah, when he repented, God restored him. After this, he, notice what he started to do. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gahan in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate. And uh, it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord. He sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. However, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on high places, but only to the Lord their God. Can you picture that? That'd be almost like having Hitler to repent. But I want to tell you, God is nigh unto all them that call upon him, regardless of their sin. Now the devil, and I'm going to throw this in there, uh, will oftentimes tell you that the sin that you've committed is, such, is so gross and so terrible and so repetitive that God is no longer going to deal with you and he shut the teller's window and you're done and lost. So you might as well reap what you can from the world, live like you should because there's no inheritance for you in heaven. That is a lie. If God can restore Manasseh, the most wicked of all kings, he can restore anyone. Now when I I go to Josiah, let me give you a little history about Josiah. He reigned... um, now, I'm going to probably differ with what I found in, in some of the books. I, I know that this is close, but it says his reign was from about 641 B.C. to about 609 B.C. Um, so he was born in about 648 B.C., so he's about eight years old when Ammon, his father, dies, and he becomes the king of Judah. Uh, His birthplace is probably Jerusalem. Now, he dies about 609 B.C., and some of the records even record the month of the year that he died, in June or July, and we know that because of the way he died. And this is the thing that initially attracted me to the story of Josiah. It's all about his death. Because just as Manasseh was one of the worst kings, Josiah, his grandson, great-grandson, is is the best. Matter of fact, it says there was no other king like him and no other king like him after him who sought to do the Lord's will and who had even more farther above than Hezekiah. He was faithful in everything he did. It even mentions his, his mother's name. And for a, 
$50 from Brother um, Barningham. Uh, he's going to donate 50 bucks. Can I have an amen? Yes. Who is the mother of Josiah? Everybody looks at the Bible. They're looking, they're looking, they're looking. Jebediah. Jebediah. I knew you wouldn't get it. I should have actually offered $50. Do you know that Josiah even makes it into the genealogy of Christ in the Gospel of Matthew? Makes it into the bloodline and genealogy of Christ. I, I, can anybody tell me, this is a good search for truth question, this keeps you alert. How many kings were there in Judah? Not counting Solomon, David, or Saul. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. 20. And one of them was what? A lady. Do you know the name? of the lady king that we had in, that was the only female in Judah's line? Huh? I always called her Athalia. Who would, anybody ever run across anybody named Athalia? Don't name your child Athalia. That'd be like naming her Jezebel because Athalia was extremely wicked. But getting back to where we, we need to be, let's go back and look at Josiah a little bit. <clears throat> I'm going to 2 Kings again, the 22nd chapter. <clears throat> I loved reading about Josiah because there's only one blemish that he has at the very end of his life. One mistake he makes. Second Kings 22.1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adilah and Boxka. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphna, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Mushulan, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hands of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. Now, I want to mention, too, that the father of Josiah, Ammon, only reigned how long? Three months. What kind of a father was he, or what kind of a king was he? He was bad. Here, this blows my mind. Here, 
his dad has been penalized, taken captive and tortured, and he sees the the repentance and the conversion of his father. He saw what God did to his father, and he does the same thing. It goes to show that human nature sometimes is blinded by its own carnality. That sometimes you can talk to a person and they can see things, but it doesn't register. Do you ever hear anybody say, you know what, I don't think their elevator goes to the top floor. Looks like no one's home and the lights are out. One brick short of a full load. All those things. But sometimes you can come to church and the preacher can tell you over and over again, but it doesn't register because you become so calloused from hearing it over and over again. Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming. The trumpet's going to sound. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, all of the scriptures. Oh yeah, that's nice. That's really cool. But it, it doesn't produce any urgency inside of you. And pretty soon, you're back doing some of the things that you had repented of doing earlier. Now let's go back. Verse 7, However, there needed to be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hands because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphni, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, that's interesting because some commentators are wondering what is exactly that they found. Some believe that this was part of the writings of Moses. But whatever it was, there was something probably contained in those writings concerning the prophecy at the altar of Israel that mentioned Josiah's name because after it's found, Josiah is shaken up. He's already trying to reform Judah. He's already on the right track. But when he reads, has this read before him, he finds out that God's wrath is held in store for Judah. And he's afraid. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan, the scribe, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Achan the son of Shaphan, Achor the son of Micaiah, the scribe, and Isaiah, servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judea, Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Stop a second now. 
Some of us would say, well, God isn't going to uh, hurt this city or this country or whatever. But what Josiah is saying, the prophecy is against our own fathers for what they've done. Matter of fact, Manasseh's punishment was passed on. It passed over Josiah, and after Josiah's death, the, the punishment comes through the Babylonian captivity. And that's when Judah even ceases to be a nation forever until 1948. After the Babylonian captivity, that was about 588 B.C., they never were ruling themselves again. They never had a king. And that was after the, the second or third son of, of um, Joah, Josiah. But that was after Josiah's death by just a few years. So it isn't just you. It's not about you. It's about the sin of the world. It's about the sin of, of the crimes of the innocent. That God's anger is being poured out upon this earth. So Hilkiah the priest, I'm going to skip over some of these names. And Asa went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of, wow, Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second corner, and they spoke with her. Now I went and I looked at the, the Jewish text and how they interpreted this. And they, had a, they, they made a statement, why didn't... Uh, Josiah sent them to Jeremiah because Jeremiah was the prophet that was, was working at the time of, of Josiah's reign. And the commentary said that he sent the, these leaders to a woman because they thought that she would be more compassionate <laughs> in the delivery of the prophecy than a man. Well, they were probably familiar with the harshness of Jeremiah's prophecies. So they sent them to woman. Huh. I'm not going there. I'm turning that, that light bulb just, just went dead. Because women are known for their compassion more than men. Men sometimes, and I, here I go, I said I wasn't going to do it. Men sometimes are, look more at things in a matter-of-fact way, but women are more compassionate and caring than men are. It's just their nature. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Notice that, and this is another thing in the, in the Hebrew text that the, the Jewish side looks at. She didn't address him as the king. She addresses him as the man. It's probably quite humbling. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore... My wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard. 
because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself. Let's not go too fast here. Because of what two things? Because of your knowledge that you learned? Oh, I just realized that we're going to be punished. No, it says because your heart was tender to me and open, and then because you removed your pride. That's what humility is. It's the removing of the pride that a person has. If my people, which are called by my names, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I shall hear from heaven and I shall heal their land. Because your heart is tender and you have humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and you wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. And I want to look at the word because. Because the word because means that you have done something that have, has changed something else. Because you've done this. We expect God to do something for us when we don't do anything. I'm going to be careful, but this is a fire that's burning in me towards myself, my own self. Where is the sincerity of your prayer? You know, you walk in, I had a tooth pull before I went on vacation. Bad mistake. Don't ever do that before you go on vacation, especially if you're planning on eating and you're on blood thinners. Bad move. Um, now, why did I say that? See, that's what happens when you wander away. I usually tell people at the room, this happens when I'm with the seniors all the time. They'll be talking to me and they'll say, they'll stop in the middle of a sentence and say, what was I talking about? And you know what I tell them? I says, just wait a little bit. The bird's going to land again on the nest. What are you doing to show your sincerity? There, the bird just landed. To, of your actions. What is the earnest money of your prayer? When we were young in the Lord, hopefully you had this type of change in your life, you wept before God. You sobbed at the altar. You were moved at times to, and you, in a sense, rent your clothes. You didn't rip your clothes, but you rent your heart. That's the kind of motivation and action that changes God's direction. And I feel that the mediocrity of our lives for God has no power with him. And that he doesn't sometimes even listen to the half-hearted, half-baked request that you make because there's no earnest to it. I know that's hard. 
But when you read your Bible through and you see God dealing with people over and over again, he says, rend your heart, not your clothing. Rend your heart. A broken heart, a broken spirit, God is drawn to that. I've also heard you, says the Lord, surely therefore I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word of the king. If I could pray a prayer tonight, knowing what I know and the time that I lay, I, I'm living in, this would be a selfish prayer. It would be, first of all, for myself and my family. Lord, please do not allow the judgments that you have foreordained to come on this earth. The Bible says that the world has never seen anything like, like what's coming. It says, you thought the flood was bad and you thought all these other things were bad. These are just, just ripples in the water. He says, because it's going to be so bad that unless God shortened those days, there wouldn't be one person left. No flesh should be saved. Now we have ourselves to think about. We have our families and our children to think about. I almost feel like, and I know this was an old carnal film, but it was a film that I saw when I first got saved and I can't forget it out of my mind because it so scared me to death. And right now it looked really corny if you watched it, Left Behind, because it was probably produced in the 70s. But that Left Behind film showed people that were left behind after the second coming. And then, if you look at the series, the Left Behind series, you begin to see all the tragedies that came on the world through the Antichrist. Um, LaHaye wrote about a lot of these things, and we, I bought all of his books, and I said, I, I remember I'd look at the sky, and I'd say, well, maybe that's a sign. There's a cloud. Maybe this is the day. Maybe the Trump is going to happen today. When was the last time you said that to yourself? Maybe today is the day. Josiah was spared from all, the, all, all of that judgment, but he made one mistake. Now, verse chapter 23, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Uh, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. He read it all. He didn't read a verse here. He didn't jump to another one there. He made sure they heard every word. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand on the covenant and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, 
the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal and for Ashereth and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron, the Kidron Valley. If I am correct, when we were in Israel, the Kidron Valley today is still a place where they burn the garbage. And some have told me that when Jesus talked about hell, he was actually inferring about a place of destruction where the worthless things of, of the world are destroyed in reference to the eternal damnation of the ungodly. And they carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon, to the constellations, to all the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons, the harlots, that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the city to Judah and, def that, and defiled the high place where the priests had burned incense from Giva. And it goes on and on about his cleansing of Judah. And it talks about him going back to Israel and fulfilling the prophecy that we read about in the very beginning of sacrificing the bones on the altar of Samaria of those that had offered sacrifices under Jeroboam fulfilled the prophecy. But unfortunately, and I'm going to start winding down here, if I can find the scripture... Um, about his, his death. Now, I think it's in verse 28 of that chapter that I've been reading. Now, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah? Now, this is the part that really stuck out to me, and I'm going to finish with this. In his days... Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to aid the king of Syria to the river Euphrates, and King Josiah went against him. Doesn't sound bad yet, does it? And Pharaoh, Necho, killed him at Megiddo when he confronted him. Then his servants moved his body in a chariot from Megiddo, brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb and the people of the land took Jehoshaphat, the son of Josiah, anointed him and made him king over his, with his father. Now, if I go back and I look at another interpretation or another, trans, not translation, another version of this, and I think it's probably going to be in Second Chronicles, it says that King Necho told Josiah not to fight against him because the Lord had talked to him and told him to destroy or to fight against Assyria. Told him, what do I have, what do you have to do 
with me on this. Leave us alone. It's nothing to do with Judah, Josiah. But Josiah doesn't seek a prophet. He doesn't seek the Lord on this. He just goes and does it anyways. And during the battle, he's shot with an arrow by the Egyptians. And he goes back to Jerusalem and dies. And I, I, I don't know why it sticks out to me this much, but he made, did he get a little overconfident, do you think? Don't you think that's our problem? Pretty soon things are going so well with us that we don't consult God in some of the decisions that we make. He could have said, well, you know, that happened with Jehoshaphat, that they said that God spoke to them and that they were supposed to destroy Jerusalem. I'm not going to fall for that. But wouldn't you have consulted with God about this to see if God really did say that? And he died that type of a death. I would have liked to have seen him gone out with glory. So tonight, as we're gathered here together uh, on a Wednesday night, one of many, many Wednesday nights we've gathered together, what's going to change? What's going to change in you? What's going to change in me? The Bible talks about how in the last days people would be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Sink, let that sink in when you make some of the decisions that you make. The decision that you're making, is it basically a decision that shows more compassion for your situation than for the situation that God has ordained? And I feel more comfortable not doing this. I, keep, I, I like to tell the seniors about a story about love and what love will do. Love will cause a man to run into a burning home to save a chihuahua. People have died trying to save their cats, much less their children. Love causes you not to count the risk or the inconvenience or the harm. We say that we love God or are we like Peter that says, Lord, you know I love you, but he couldn't use the word of, the same word of love that the Lord had used for him. I feel you, Lord, but I really don't agape you. Where do I fit into all this stuff? If the rapture were to come tonight, are you 100% sure that you are right with God and that you would go in the rapture and that your children would go with you? I had the strangest thing happen to me the night I was baptized. Sunday night, I'll never forget the night. 12 o'clock midnight, 
We had to get all of the Pentecostals out of the Milwaukee truck stop where they were after church. Kind of, we had service till 10.30. Oh yeah, back then service. We started at 7 o'clock. 9.30, we were still there. We visited till 10 and then they all went to the truck stop and some stayed till midnight and got up at 6 in the morning. So when I told my brother at midnight or 11 o'clock that night that I needed to get baptized, he just called the truck stop, said, is Brother Tamil there? Just, and bring them all back. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a service tonight. It's not over yet. We're gonna baptize somebody else. Do you know how many people came back at midnight? There were probably about 20 people there that night. And we was a small church because they were all fired up about seeing someone pulled from the flames. Well, I never told you the rest of the story, or I might have, but forgotten it. What did I say? I'm just teasing you. That night when I went home after I was baptized, I remember all the promises I made when I came out of the tank. Brother Brown, I came out, I had my cigarettes, my Marlboros in my pocket, and I was all fired up, I'm ready for heaven because the thing that drove me to the tank that night that made me tell my brother, I don't care what you have to do to get these people to come and get me baptized. Do whatever you have to do because God has convicted me so bad that if he comes tonight, I'm going to die. I'm going to be left behind because someone had told me about the rapture. I said, I don't want to be left behind. Do it tonight. So after the baptism, I, I took the cigarettes and I said, God, I'm going to live for you. I give you these things back. I know I shouldn't have them. Nobody told me. Brother Tam, nobody told me about they were bad. It's funny how your conscience teaches you what's right and wrong when it's working and it's not dulled out. I threw them out and said, yes, I feel I'm going to serve God. Praise God, I'm going to heaven. And I went home and curled up in my bed at my parents' house and I dreamed a dream. It was, the, it was a narrated dream. And I tell you the truth. I don't know anything about God and here I'm having a dream that's narrated concerning prophetic things that were going to happen. I don't know my Bible at all. I don't, I have... I got one as a gift when I was eight years old and it was a nice zippered one with white and it had my name on it, but I never used it. So when in the dream, someone was speaking to me and it was like 60 minutes, I saw the things happening as they spoke to me. And it said the river Euphrates is going to dry up. I'll be honest, I don't even know where the Euphrates River was at the time. And so it went on. And then at the end of the dream, it's after it's talking to me, it takes me to a, a, a lake of fire. Honest to God, I am not making this up. And I, over the lake of fire, there's a wooden plank that goes out over the molten metal, over the molten lake of fire. You want to talk about God giving me a swift kick in the pants to set me on my way? He's doing it that night. And here I'm standing on this plank that goes out over the 
over the, this molten metal or whatever, and there in front of me is my very closest friend in all the world. And I won't even mention his name. And I knew that I was supposed to push him in. It was so hard, like, why? And then I woke up, I never pushed him in, but on the other side, there was, there was someone standing, and I, they were just communicating with me, not with words, but with feelings, like, this is what you do. And then I woke up. Now, I wasn't terrified like I would like the devil would bring terror to you, but I was certainly shaken up. I I even started to wonder, what have I got into? This was so real in HD. And then it was a few days later when I told Paul about all this stuff. I said, Paul, you won't believe what God's done in my life and all this stuff. You ever do this to your friend? If you were converted when you were older, you you run to them and say, it's so exciting. Even when I went to work at... um, Sorgal Electric in Milwaukee, the night I got the Holy Ghost. I was in the tavern pulling on the people's sleeves. Guess what I got Sunday night? We're in a tavern. I'm not drinking, no. I know it's not to drink. I got the Holy Ghost last night. And I remember one guy looking at me like, is that like angels dust, man? Crazy people, they had no idea. But Paul, when I went to him, he mocked me. And he never talked to me. He left my best friend. Never hung around. He wouldn't have anything to do with me. And I realized that my testimony of what God had done for me might have been the thing that would push him into judgment. That's my concern when I go to work. I tell these people over and over again, and I do it in a kind way. And I say, Lord, I love these people so much. I've known them for years. God, they're what I can't think to bear that, that someday they'll be held accountable for what I've told them. But you know what? They have the same problem that the people in this church have and in every other church in this, in this country. They have become so steeped up in their own traditions and the way that they've been doing things and the patterns they've developed in their life that you can't break through to them because they're so convinced that they're all right and that everything's cool because everybody in the world is worse than they are And they have that false sense of security. And I'm saying, God, am I guilty of that? And I am. I have a false sense of security. So do you. Because if you really believed that hell was hot and it could be tomorrow, we'd be the ones that were staying up all night, rending our hearts, like Josiah. Josiah's conversion, you know when his conversion really took place? After he read the book of the law. How many years was that? 18, I believe it was. 18 years after he started. But when he heard the book of the law, 
it really messed him up as far as I got to get right with God. But see, we'd have ears to hear, but sometimes we don't hear anymore. And we have eyes to see, but we don't see too well anymore. And here I am, and I'm just rambling on because I'll stop, you know, in a little bit, but I'm not going to promise you when. I just know I've watched people when they get older in the Lord and in age. I've watched preachers that had dynamic ministries, great preachers, 10 times better preachers than I would ever be. And I've watched them at the end of their life become stale and brittle and broken and calloused. And I wondered, I wonder why? Because they've become so familiar with what they've had that they just become careless. It's like Solomon. After all the things God did for him, all the visitations that God gave him, and he died an idolater. Wicked man. Solomon was a wicked man at the end of his life. So why did God put him in there? Like I told you before, God doesn't sugarcoat anything. He wants you to see that you can be smart as a whip and you can have a lot of money and you can have a lot of intelligence, but if you're not careful, you can lose your soul. All right, I'm going to stop. Let's stand together. My prayer would be for myself that every time I turn the news on and I hear what's going on, that God pricks me and reminds me that we're near the end. And that I've even asked myself sometimes, have you ever asked yourself this question? Could I die for my faith? If someone came up to me and said, denounce Christ right now or I will torture you to death. And you say, oh, no, you're, you're foolish if you they say, oh, I would never denounce him. You can't even handle a, a hangnail. But I know that this is true that God provides strength for the weak. And he told me that when the time comes, if I am faithful, the things that I lack, he'll provide. So even though I might be fearful that could I do it, God will give me the boldness of a Stephen and he'll do the same thing for us. But we have to be ready inside. Lord Jesus, tonight, so many people have sort of walked away carelessly. Myself included, Lord. 
Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.